Richard, welcome to the Commerce Talks podcast. Today we are talking uh, about Boots, a very successful business uh, from UK, not only in UK, but in many other countries. And today we want to learn about how it works and what the digital platform economy will bring to the Boots business model. So welcome here, maybe introduce yourself uh, uh, and, and then let's talk about the Boots business. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. So I'm Richard Corridge. I'm the Chief Information Officer here at Boots in the UK. I've been the CIO for just over a year and a half, but been at Boots a few years before that. Prior to coming to Boots, lots of healthcare experience, CIO roles for the last ooh, 25 years or so. So all sorts of different experiences, but really specifically from healthcare. My trip into Boots was the first time I, I stepped out of purist healthcare and started to look at retail. But I can explain a little bit more about that when we get on to Boots. Yeah, so um, the Boots business, and we have many listeners from continental Europe here in this um, in this podcast, uh, um, and it, it's very hard to explain what it is if you're looking uh, towards Boots, like from a German uh, perspective. And I tried to understand it with the Wikipedia article and the Boots uh, corporate information form web website. It, it looks like um, a mix from uh, Douglas, the beauty store Douglas in Germany, Rossmann, the drugstore, and like a, a pharmacy. So we, we don't have it here. So maybe can you explain it a bit? So so what kind of assortment you, you usually gonna expect in, in in a boots and what is the average store size and what kind of customers are are using boots yeah absolutely so we have two and a half thousand stores so there isn't an average store size i guess there is every sort of size of store and experience so a little bit about that first so boots does three things really for its customers first and foremost and through its history 170 years it is a community pharmacy it's a place you go to seek advice about healthcare. It's a place you go to take your prescription to have it dispensed and turned into the drugs that you need for the illness that you, that you may have. So that's the first thing. The second thing over time is, is it's become a convenience store. So you particularly around healthcare items, you know, things that you need in the shower, toothpaste, toothbrushes, things that you just forget as, as you're going past. There's a, a big part of Boots is to offer convenience for healthcare items that aren't specifically clinical, more health and health and wellness related. And then lastly, and perhaps most recently, and definitely most successfully in the last 12 months, is a, a really big push to become a beauty store on the high street. So taking some of the higher level brands, things like Fenty, and bringing those to the high street, allowing everybody to be able to, to truly get their hands on products that, that make them look good, make them feel really special about what they're doing, where they're going. And I think during lockdown in particular, Boots was one of the organizations in the UK that, that was asked to stay open because of the, the pharmacy services that we offer. So being able to stay open through lockdown to offer a real width of health and care advice and guidance to people as they were very much in, in the throes of, of the pandemic, in the throes of being in lockdown, was a really vital service. And I think, you know, as part of your question there, what, what's the average customer? Literally every type of person in the UK goes into a Boots for different things. So, you know, you're on your lunch break, you work in a town, you go into Boots to get your sandwich, or you're going into Boots on the way home to pick up a, a gift for your partner, or you're going into Boots because you've got young kids who are poorly and you want some advice and guidance on cough mixture or the right medicine or the right plasters to put on their feet. So a really wide range of things happen at Boots. And why like a German customer or a France customer would go to a pharmacy for like buying a specialized pharmacy for buying like nasal spray, like if having a cold or so, 
a UK customer would um, opt in for Boots first. Is this correct? Or would you rather go to, to a specialized pharmacy? So Boots is a specialized pharmacy in that it, it has pharmacists in store. It can dispense the prescription that a GP prepares. And I think what happens more in our healthcare system is if you can't get in to see a GP, if you're not seeing a clinician because there's a, a waiting time or there's a, you perhaps don't think you're ill enough to see a GP, you go to a boot store as well and you can ask for advice and guidance on whatever the thing is that you're, that you're ill with and get some help with that. So that's a big part of, of what the service is at Boots, both that really specific pharmacy items, but also the advice and guidance and the pharmacy services that we offer. Yeah, and, and I learned by reading your Wikipedia article that uh, Boots is the inventor of, um, in German, it's uh, it's called ibuprofen, and in English, it's um, ibuprofen or something yeah, like something very like that. Similar. Yeah, yeah, very similar. So we have we all have to thank you <laughs> for in in, in, uh, in 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 inventing inventing this because most of the cust uh, listeners here are, I think, uh, regular users. Um, um, of this, so uh, so we can sum it up that that, that the original origins of boots are um, in the pharmacy space, and yes. from this like pharmacy space, it expanded into like health, like pharma related products, and now um, into into beauty. And um, I understand there's like it's with this 2,500 stores, it's like roughly six billion pounds in revenue per year. Is this yeah. correct? Yeah. Um, this is and, right. What is the split between those three categories, pharmacy, beauty, uh, and, um, and let's say, um, and, and the, other, the other products? Um, convenience, yeah. yeah. I, I'd say um, it's been very difficult, hasn't it, over the last couple of years to, to sort of take that as average. What we've seen, obviously, in lockdowns is that the pharmacy healthcare items have, have grown as, as it's split. That's become a bigger part of our revenue, mm -hmm. whereas beauty had gone down in its percentage split, particularly from in-store. What we've seen as we've come out of lockdowns and returned to some forms of normality is a, a resurgence in that beauty market. I guess what's fascinating though is when you look at the online business over the last two years, the, the volume in, in fragrance and in, in higher-end beauty, premium beauty is quite significant. People are shopping online for those items, to have them at home, to, to enjoy them at home. And that's really grown as part of the market share. What's really interesting for us is, is our share of the, the whole beauty market has grown and grown across Boots as well, as we've been seen to offer two things. Firstly, that convenience of being on so many high streets with so many stores, but also we've gone on a real mission to what's been known inside the organization as Beauty Reinvented. So really bring new, small, niche, up-and-coming, almost startup-like beauty brands into store, Drunk Elephant and, and all sorts of new and funky ways of, of getting hold of new products that are different in how they can be applied or their content or their, you know, their eco value or the, the followers and influencers that are part of those. So I think that's been really exciting in how that's changed the mix in revenue um, away from just being around healthcare and pharmacy, because pharmacy is something that in the UK is, is largely free at the point of care. So most people don't pay huge amounts for their prescriptions. They, they have an NHS prescription that they pay a, a fee for having that prescription, which means that it's not a hugely lucrative um, money-earning business because actually it's more of a service to bring people into store and offer that service as mm. a, a long-term DNA of what Boots is really. 
So in, in, in the sibling podcast of uh, Commerce Tools in, Kass in Kassenzone in Germany, uh, we had the um, CEO of Douglas um, as a guest, Tina Müller, and also um, CEO and owner of uh, um, DM, Christoph Werner. And uh, when we discussed the, the business challenges uh, uh, with them, um, uh, um, one of the core discussions is always about the split between um, owned exclusive products versus um, third-party brands that's a different discussion the pharmacy business so it's not so easy to invent like own products yeah. in the pharmacy space but like for beauty and uh, uh which is like tina muller's business at douglas and for um and for the drugstore business convenience product business from of christoph werner it, there's a clear tendency tendency that those specialists want to in wants to increase the share of owned products so brands they own exclusive deals they own products you can only buy at dm or douglas yeah. is this yeah. the same uh trend you're seeing at boots it's a similar trend so we have products that you know we have own brand products ranging from you know medicines for children that are over the counter medicines all the way through to the big brands like number seven um and botanics though you know real big beauty brands that are in the uk only available in boots mm. that are real you know brands that have been around for a long time that are well respected that are highly thought of but at the same time we've pushed really hard to have those superb relationships with partners so clarins and chanel and and all the you know the big beauty brands in particular are all now available in a boot store which means that we've got a really different outlook on on how we work both with our own brands and with all our partners that are in there. And I think, you know, obviously you can imagine from a revenue point of view, being able to sell a number seven product that we, that Boots is the owner of that product is obviously more lucrative, but at the same time, we want to be there for every customer and offer the width and range that they may want in store and online. And that's been important to us. That's true. And I agree. And um, this is easy uh, to defend in a in a in a in a strong brick and mortar environment. But now, and um, if my numbers are correct, I think um, you're selling a 2020 number. Was it 2020? Was a, uh, above 450 million pounds online revenue? I guess in 2021, this uh, uh, this increased a lot. I don't know what you're allowed to share uh, uh, number number wise. Um, but in an online environment where um, Where uh, uh, where the assortment becomes kind of a commodity, and people are watching, looking out for a brand. They are choosing the retailer um, that can serve this brand for the best price, like best convenience setup, like deliverable, like tomorrow, uh, a free delivery, um, and, and 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 so on and so on. And this kind of um, competitive situation online leads to the thinking: okay, if this is the case online. I need to increase my own brand slash exclusive brand share because then I don't have this problem. Then I can sell those brands to the price uh, I want in my stores and online. And online only owned brands really uh, uh, really make a difference because if you're just selling the stuff that is also available on, let's say UK competitor could be the Hut Group for um, example, then it's kind of a price. Uh, uh, a pricing spiral downwards where um, only the retailer wins with the best logistic competences, right? And it, it's, it's an economy of scale business, um, which is an not so cool business to be, <laughs> to be honest, because it's, it's very margin thin. Um, yes. Is this something that is driving the discussion inside of Boots? You know what? It's really strange because I agree with the way you describe it, but then I think I've put a different lens on it. So when somebody comes to boots.com or boots.ie to buy something, what we want to do is be able to offer the largest range so that their basket 
size is has as much content from Boots as possible. And in particular, during the last two years with the, the situations we've been in, people have got used to going to one, you know, the large grocers and putting everything in their basket that they might need, including their convenience products that in the past they might have uh, popped into Boots to pick up. So what we've tried to do is actually keep that range and width and quality of products there and be able to personalize as much as possible the, the mobile experience and the web experience so that your basket as a customer is ultimately, if we've been really specific, we're trying to create an average basket size that's higher than, than the competitor so that you put as much stuff at boots into your basket and, and then we have the logistics to be able to deliver that next day or arrange for you to pick up in store or, or even get Deliveroo to drop it off to you in the next hour. So all those different logistics capabilities are now there at Boots so that we can truly give you the service that you want at the price point you want. I agree, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, uh, I, I just uh, published an article, I think it was on Forbes or, or, or so, about um, that um, the one that owns the product in their uh, on their inventory, like on their balance sheet, that's the loser because in the in the platform economy, you don't want to have the product on your inventory um, on your balance sheet, but you want to offer the product, uh, yes, yeah. but you want to offer the product without the inventory risk. So you might allow other manufacturers to offer the product through your platform uh, in order to increase your basket size and the um, and obviously the uh, the buying frequency, um, but you don't want to be involved in the uh, pricing. Uh, competition because um, yes. that is kind of that is the job of the manufacturer to protect the pricing point if a manufacturer is distributing a product like everywhere then obviously uh, um, the the digital ecosystem will lead to a situation where there's a pricing competition because everybody who's not able to sell this specific product will put it uh, online at available at amazon or like another platform yeah. uh, um, and, and this will this will um, uh, this will um, accelerate the um, the pricing spiral downwards, and um, therefore this whole assortment um, um, assortment discussion is now steered into a let's become a platform so we can have as much assortment as we want yes. without the inventory risk, which is easy to say, very hard to achieve uh, because there's so so many like operational details that are complicated. But is this something uh, you're also observing? It is definitely. Um, it's it's not just something we're observing, it's something we're trying to build towards as well. So what we would term a marketplace capability is something that's in our plan over the next 12 months, whereby we can add to our range. But as, you're, as you say, without us taking on the logistics or the ownership of products, but actually keep people inside the Boots ecosystem so that we can still offer the advice yeah. and, and guidance. And in particular, when you look at areas like healthcare and wellness, where You know, we're a very trusted brand. People believe in that blue and white sphere and the, and the name of Boots. So come to us and our trusted marketplace and we'll be able to curate the best healthcare journey for you, including some of the things that aren't straight out of the Boots warehouse and being able to do that. And I think you know, if we're successful, being able to personalize the healthcare journey that somebody comes on when they come to .com is something that I, I believe in as a personal goal. It's something that the NHS has been trying to do for many, many years is how do we deliver personalized healthcare. As a retailer with 12 million customers with you know, the, the kind of prescription and dispensing business we have, we have the data points now to be able to carefully and in a considered way offer a personalized healthcare journey for customers that want to have that journey with us. And I think that's so exciting. Imagine a place where you 
uh, picking up a, a prescription that everybody knows, including your GP, that that prescription will have a side effect that's not particularly pleasant. But as a pharmacist, online or physically, we can make the recommendation and have the product that you should take or have with you alongside that dispensed item that will stop the side effect from happening. If we can be in that kind of place or, or making recommendations around wellness. So, you know, we obviously know by proxy many people in this country who have diabetes. What are the things we can do, the little nudges at a mobile level, the little nudges on .com to help people stay healthy that have long-term conditions? A real goal for, for me personally is to, to see our organization be able to do that personalized healthcare journey as well. Um, I agree, uh, but let, let me add another but here <laughs> because um, this kind of uh, trusted marketplace, it is definitely a spot uh, in, the, in the healthcare uh, uh, and beauty business, which is not um, filled out yet by other marketplaces, um, especially if, you're if we're looking like towards Amazon, it's a, it's a huge fraud issue there so it's, it's it's hard and harder to trust like the amazon ranking because it's just an ad uh, an, an ad space um uh, uh nowadays um but uh, i'm i'm i try to follow the uh, walmart marketplace story, uh, story um now for like two or three years and walmart decided to become a marketplace more or less three years ago so and and, and when you're looking into and and with a similar argument they want to be a trusted marketplace with um, yeah. high product quality maybe with uh, with lots of local product america first and all the stuff so um, um and i believe this it's, it's, it's a very um it's a very strong uh, value proposition if you're able to to scale it but one of their problems is um, or one of their challenges is that's very hard for them to um to uh, create an environment where you can onboard new um, sell us fast enough so you can yeah. keep up with kind of the perceived experience of Emma, um, at Amazon. Uh, uh, so people want to trust Walmart in this case, but they cannot trust Walmart because the, uh, the, the offering is just not, it's not wide enough. So the long tail yeah. becomes more and more uh, um, important. I think like uh, last year I heard, um, I heard a, a keynote where a researcher said the long tail becomes fat now. So even stuff that wasn't sold, uh, that was sold like once or twice a month, uh, 10 years ago is now sold like 100 times a day. So you, the, the speed of like onboarding sellers becomes obviously a very crucial part of the um, success. Um, is this something where, where, where you think Boots can win, like speeding this up? Because it's obviously um, a conflict of interest. Speeding things up means like um, this kind of process needs to be very lean. Yeah. A lean process means that obviously all this kind of um, quality checks uh, for building the trusted products uh, cannot be done in a way how it's done today with the purchasing de uh, departments or how, how do you manage it? So I think there's, there's two key parts to it for me. So, so firstly, I think you can have a lean but diligent process for bringing partners on board. And some of that's about the relationship and some of that's about your own processes. But secondly, and perhaps most importantly, as we venture into marketplace, we consider that our customers are both the people that come and buy and the suppliers that want to sell on there. And we've got to look after the suppliers that want to sell on there as much as we've got to look after the customers because of exactly the point you make. We've got to be able to move really quickly. And some of that's around you know, the, the trends in the beauty marketplace change so quickly. The seasons change so quickly. So how do we make sure that we've got spring's latest thing from the, you know, the most influential person on Instagram's latest recommendation? So being able to do that, but at the same time, 
we've got to have that lean, diligent process to make sure that it's safe, that it's the right thing to sell, that there's no hidden nasties in there in, in prospects of, of that product and being in there. So by having a lean, diligent process to put it on and a good relationship with the partners, we also need to create a, a lean, diligent process for taking products off as well so that we can ramp up and ramp down really quickly and therefore serve our customers that want to have a wider range than what we truly can really offer through our own supply chain capabilities and our own our own brand really if we're honest the things that are there and a, an almost amusing example is somebody who's looking for wellness products on boots may well be looking for a houseplant or um, a, a book about wellness or a candle and there are three products that wouldn't traditionally be on a, a boots.com or in a boots store but being, by having a marketplace that's got those things as well we can extend the range and extend the interest and stickiness that that customer has around wellness at boots in particular Okay. Okay. Um, 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 got it. Um, and uh, it totally makes sense uh, from my from my point of view. But maybe can you elaborate a little bit on the role of e-commerce and like this platform um, economy, especially over the last like two to three years? If I'm understanding the numbers correctly, like three years ago, the um, the boots e-commerce revenue was roughly 200 million. So compared to the all all um, uh, to the um, Uh, um, uh, to the um, company revenue, very small, which usually meant like three years ago, so e-commerce is just a channel for us. So yes. IT and the web shop is just like a cost center. And yes, if people choose online, they should get the product, but it's not our priority. And um, I think you in your CIO role, if I understand the statements from your LinkedIn profile correctly, you, you want to change it. You want to make it like a business uh, yeah. uh, center instead of a cost, a cost center. So how far have you come so far? It's interesting because that's been not just a boots, but being sort of core to one of my principles of being a CIO for the last 10 years is that IT should not be seen by any business as a cost center and should be seen as where investment is and be part of our business rather than a separate thing that is a, a, you know, a cost line at the end of each month. I think Boots, three years ago, you're quite right, wasn't an online business. It was a channel for selling the products that we have. And in a really fortuitous way, in many ways, the preparation for Boots.com and the change in how it became a, a business in its own right, what was, what was cited at the time as how do we turn .com into a billion pound business? And ahead of the pandemic and COVID, we were getting there. We'd done a lot of change, a lot of work around moving to a more headless commerce capability, being able to take a new improved basket checkout fraud capability, implementing Adobe tools from a MarTech point of view to truly offer personalized, personalized journeys in a mass way were all things that were either started or in plan. And then the pandemic came. And that completely changed the business model anyway for everybody because everybody went online. And suddenly you were no longer competing at bricks and mortar for the convenience wallet of people who were going to the grocers, but you were also now competing against everybody online for, for beauty, for even for pharmacy services and healthcare. And therefore the investment both in, in actual money, but also in concentration in time and, and perhaps most importantly in, in enthusiasm across my colleagues, for.com changed. So suddenly it was no longer just a thing that we had to invest in because everybody else was, but it became a key channel for us. And it is fascinating how that also plays into that, the difference between app and 
and traditional web as well. So as we see now, sort of the, the volumes of purchases on days like Black Friday or the sale launch day via the app, just exponentially increasing up as people just get used to the fact that they're walking down the street or they're sat in the living room or they're you know, making a cup of tea and they can do their shopping with their thumb instead of having to turn it into a mission to sit down and do the shop that they need to do. That kind of change has been a big part of the success we've got, I think. You haven't commented on numbers uh, uh, so far. Have you met the 1 billion mark in 2021 already, or are you not allowed to comment on it? We were very, very close in the last 12 months. Okay. And um, the, the, I, I did an analysis um, three, three years ago where I tried to understand um, about the common denominator of success of um, leading digital companies. And uh, the common denominator of success obviously is speed of adaption. So because they're adapting faster to market changes and customer demands, um, they're winning um, eventually. Um, and when you're looking into companies like Zalando, About You, Azos, um, the Hut Group, um, there's one easy thing that can be done. You can just take the um, GMV and divide it by the number of people working in the IT uh, uh, department, including product managers, project managers. So people that are responsible for the e-commerce experience and yeah. you always come up with the same uh, um, uh, you always come up with the same number it's a number which is like ranges between two to five um, uh, two to four million so every member fte in the it department is responsible like for two million in revenue and it's not <laughs> scaling which is interesting because in the old world where it was a cost center you would have tried to achieve like 10 million per developer, like scaling it, like making it more efficient. But in the modern um, IT companies, you're, you're, you don't see scale. You just see like more people added into the IT departments and therefore like revenue is growing. So if we're looking into the, uh, if, if I were looking into the, the Boots um, um, IT department today, I would expect 500 plus people uh, working there um, to, uh, for the e-commerce experience. So we need to subtract all the people working for, legacy ERP project because I understand yeah. like uh, Boots is like a very old company already though there must be some uh, legacy uh, um, ERP work uh, uh, to, be, to be done but how many people are working today for the Boots digital experience? Much, much less than 500, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I want and to give so, you some arguments for, for the discussions no, it's, with, yeah, it's with your management team. <laughs> I definitely, definitely need to look at that research. So The permanent members of staff in IT in Boots is 110 people. There's a digital team that run the site itself of, I'd say, 22, 25 people. Um, we then have a partnership model. So we have a big partnership model with TCS who support our technology. And we have partnerships with a number of other suppliers that help us with our MarTech site. That doesn't take away all the legacy projects, etc. That isn't given us the, the total number. I TCS, would, TCS is this a system integrator or what is TCS? Tata, Tata Consulting. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they do DevOps, RunOps, testing, etc. for us, mm -hmm. um, for, for many, many of the, the systems that we have yeah. deployed across, across where we are. I would say that the site from an e-commerce point of view is run by probably about 70 people at Boots. Okay across the digital team and IT. Ah, I, so I, I see growth potential for the team, uh, obviously. <laughs> so there's growth potential for the team, but it's interesting. And we, you know, our team would say we're trying to do too much with not enough people. But at the same time, everybody works so well together because of the size of the team. Everybody can see almost literally what's happening in the different new innovation projects. So, well, you know, 
in the next three months we have a new basket a new checkout we have gamification we've got um, a, a new way of pricing for people that use our loyalty card we've got new additions to martech all scheduled for go lives in january february and march so you know that group of people doing that delivery are so collaborative in how they work together and so intrinsic to each other's success that whilst it feels an extremely busy time for a relatively small number of people it's a group of people who i think work as a, a really well-oiled machine and a team that i'm super proud of actually uh, one thing I usually observe within uh, um, companies with uh, brick and mortar DNA when it comes to um, e-commerce excellence is that there's um, an, an ongoing conflict between um, choosing the um, pure play e-commerce uh, um, uh, a version of a specific product or a specific initiative versus, um, let's say, an integrated um, universal commerce solution. So lot, yeah. lots of the um, resources are, are used to find, uh, to, to, to build the integration between an in-store online experience where companies like an ASOS or the Hut Group or About You or Zalando, they're just focusing on the online experience, which, which leads usually to a situation that the online experience in this pure play company is better because there's no Uh, nothing that is uh, um, that is derailing their derailing their focus and um, um, and um, over the last 10 years we had a very strong ongoing discussion that the multi-channel world eventually will win because uh, one plus one equals three the uh, if you're looking on pure numbers obviously the pure play companies develop much better so they they uh, they they earned more money they grew faster Uh, um, they are scaling. Um, they are scaling much faster. Um, on the other hand, uh, uh, you, you cannot just neglect ne neglect the discussion. So you are in a multi-channel environment. You cannot just say, "Okay, I don't care about the uh, uh, brick and mortar environment. We just focus on online because that's 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 it's not your job." But the conflict is still there. So from a CIO perspective, how do you manage this conflict? It's it's a wonderful way you've put that. So. One of the things that is key to the success over the last 12 months is to consider um, an omni-channel approach. What we've ended up terming internally is, is a customer value proposition. So I think we're even more complex than the sort of the examples you alluded to, because not only are we a, a bricks and mortar and online business, but when you actually step into our business, there are so many facets to it, the healthcare, the pharmacy business, the convenience and the beauty. And actually what we are trying to do with a customer value proposition is make sure that we can, we can truly offer a width of, of ways of working, of ways of engaging with our customers. And I think that's been a really key part of the delivery that we're there. So you, you mentioned that there aren't many examples of successful omni-channel, so bricks and mortar and online businesses. But then if you step into an Apple shop in the UK or a Disney shop in the UK, The, the customer is using the same app in, in the store to find out more information, to make the sale, to, to buy the product as, as the colleague is in store selling the product. So I think there is a lot of success to be mined in the future in by having a business that is multifaceted, that has more than one channel to actually do that. I just think there aren't many examples yet of success in there because it is super difficult to build single-facing solutions that do many things for many types of people is, is, you know, it's that panacea moment, isn't it? If we can get that right so that our colleagues in store are using the, the same app as the, 
as the customer that there's just a different way of using it because you're a colleague in store serving the customer as opposed to the customer actually buying something. I want to get to that point where a customer comes into store and their app is alive in their hand as they go around the store looking at the products that they are making recommendations, accessing their loyalty offers, being able to know that the thing that they were at home last night that they put in their basket, actually we can make an offer in store that would be a little bit cheaper that you might want now that makes you a bit sticky, that makes it interesting for you. So that's that the omni-channel experience of a customer value proposition is so exciting. It's true, it's true, but uh, <laughs> but going back to the pure number perspective, usually there's only a, a very, and, and that's maybe a different in your business, so maybe we can elaborate on this. Um, there's a very small chunk of, um, of customers that do need the omni-channel experience. They are on, pure online customers, they are pure store customers, and then there's like, 10% of the customers that might uh, um, that might um, come to a higher basket size with an omnichannel experience, but 80% of all the IT resources are poured into this uh, um, into this very small um, cohort um, of customers. Mm -hmm. So that might be different for uh, for UK. So uh, Media Market, for example, um, the um, the leading European retailer for consumer electronic argues that 40% um, plus of all the orders are still collected um, offline so they have a very 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 strong click and collect uh, um, uh, customer base which is okay therefore it explains a little bit their omni-channel um, heavy investments uh, towards it but for for most cases that's not true and we discussed this also with um, uh, tina muller from uh, from the from Douglas uh, group in, in in germany and um, and she agreed that's actually why there's so much pushing forward their platform initiative uh, uh, for in their online experience and and there's like many many products you can buy online at douglas which you cannot buy in the store yeah. which is kind of a uh, uh, from an omni-channel perspective it's not fair towards the brick and mortar customer but that's the only way for them to scale so do you see a higher share of omni-channel customers in the in the in the boots uh, um, space so and i don't have the numbers or the study to hand on that but I think we do from talking to customers, from being in stores, from our own experiences over, particularly over the, you know, the Christmas period that we've just come out of. We're seeing people in store converting to online and vice versa all the time. And I wonder if some of that is just because of the brand reputation, the fact we've existed for so long on the high street. You're quite right around what we can stock in store versus what we can stock online in most of our stores, because we have really small corner shop type scenarios that are largely just a pharmacist um, and a healthcare store. But we also have huge flagship stores in, in London, in big cities, in out of town business parks that do have the vast majority of products that's online. So because of the, the difference in our actual physical estate and the range of size of stores and, mm. and the way they, they deliver to customers, I think we are known to be you know, an organization that you can engage with in different ways. So if you just, you're running through, having been to a GP and you want to pick your prescription up, you can just go in the corner boots and pick your prescription up and go. But if you're in town and you want to go and look at beauty, you go into the big flagship store and you talk to the assistants that are there and you get some advice and guidance and they help you choose what the product that you're going to go for. Whereas online, you can do both those things as well. So you can still get your prescription sent to your home but also you can engage and get advice and guidance on beauty and that side of it so we've tried to mirror the experiences um but then at the same time i do agree with you around resource we're paying 
a lot of resource into our omni-channel experience, where in reality, that's not proportionate to the number of customers that are in there at, that, at this point. But I think that's the, the bet that we're placing, that that is the future um, with Marketplace, with all the other things that we intend to do. Now we are recording this uh, the 5th of January of 2022. So obviously we are, uh, you're, you've already made your plans for 2022, uh, what's going to happen in the, uh, um, in, in the online channels. Can you share some of these ideas and plans, what you're looking forward to, to build from a customer perspective? Yeah, so a new basket and a new checkout capability that will allow us to, to merge that basket between in-store and online is scheduled in the first quarter. We've got new personalization tools and new ways of actually engaging it are really built for you, the person, as opposed to segmentation of the population. So what did you look for last time and can we surface those things? Online doctor and loads of healthcare services that are now available and will grow in volume is a really big part. A new ability around loyalty to offer specific pricing points online and in store for loyalty customers and gamification. So turning the app into something a bit more fun so that people can engage in store in how they shop and where they go are all things between now and the summer of this year. So we have a hectic, hectic schedule as far as new things to, to get out there and push for our customers to test and learn with our customers. We mentioned Marketplace already scheduled for later on in 22. A, a new way of being able to use the Boots brand to offer a much wider set of products and, as we've just spoken about, new innovative products that can come in quick and, and can go away quickly as well. That, that's cool. Um, and I, I hope you have uh, lots of uh, jobs um, uh, um, uh, um, st still open and, and um, you're searching for a lot of new people joining joining the team. That's usually the answer I'm getting if I'm asking, okay, what you're looking for. It's like we have like 100 open job positions. So please, um, uh, please apply. Is this also true for our boots? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody across the world, it seems, when you talk to different technology, retail, healthcare people, have had resignations and have new roles and new ways of working. So we've seen a lot of movement, um, recruitment and retentions, super challenging and super exciting. So how do we have the right roles, the right office space, the right attraction for the right type of people, the right brains to come and work here? You know, Boots attracts the right sort of people because of the kudos of working for such a, a brand that has a mission, a brand that's well known. But at the same time, the competition in that marketplace is huge. And we traditionally were based in the, the Midlands in the center of the UK. So traditionally, not an easy place to, to fish for talent compared to London or some you know, other areas. So what the pandemic and, and new ways of working has brought to us, there is a lot more ability for people to work from anywhere. And I think that's been a, a great door opener for us, for people who want to work for Boots but don't want to live or be in Nottingham as much as, as they may in the past have needed to. And is this a new standard already at Boots? So if like if there's people listening to this podcast living in Lisbon, uh, can they work for Boots without, without yeah. moving to the UK? They, there is the ability now to work offshore for Boots and our technology projects, yes. Okay, that's cool. I definitely share the, the job ads uh, in the, in the, in the uh, podcast show notes. And uh, Richard, thank you for your time. Thank you ever so much. It's been a lot of fun chatting to you.